You know, the ultimate story of the Bible is one of divine reversal, especially as you look at the end of the story when God reverses the curse and there's new heavens and a new earth. Look at the cross. God used the horror of the cross for our ultimate good, and he uses many things in our life that look to be evil. He uses them. He turns them around for good. More on that today as we dive into Esther 9 on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. So at the end of Esther chapter 8, they got the decree uh, on paper to counter Haman's evil decree. Take a look. Uh, this is 8.15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And uh, the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. And remember, and I have to admit to you, I stole this from Alistair Begg, but that's when we got into cool in the gang. Remember that? <laughs> Celebrate good times. Come on. Okay, so we did a little bit of that, and some of you thought, Pastor Michael has lost it, but some of you already concluded that he did. So, so Mordecai's in these flowing royal robes. God has turned uh, beauty for ashes. I want you to turn to Psalm 30, because this is really appropriate here. Psalm 30, it's gonna just be a little bit to your right. Psalm chapter 30. This is verse four. Speaking of turnarounds, it says, sing praises to the Lord. Psalm 30, verse four, you, his godly ones, give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse six. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Turn back to the book of Esther. Chapter 8 ended with that shout of joy, that time of rejoicing. Uh, Mordecai in the royal robes, the city of Susa rejoicing. The Jewish people saying, hey, we got a counter edict now. We're, we're good. But that was only on paper. Have you ever had something on paper, but it didn't quite work out in reality? I think we all could admit that, you know, something happened, maybe a contract was signed. Many years ago, I remember I was in the printing world and we made this uh, deal of all deals. It was a $5 million deal for me annually. And I went home and Brenda and I were doing a little cool in the gang. Celebrate. Well, I'll tell you what, within the next couple of months, the whole thing fell apart because our company wasn't able to produce what we had put on paper. In reality, we couldn't work it out. And I went from, yeah, 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 to, uh-oh. 
Sometimes life is that way. We get something on paper, it looks good, but then in reality, it doesn't work out. Well, the end of chapter 8 is a celebration, but the war has not happened. There is a counter edict. There's a counter decree. Uh, Remember, the laws of the Medes and Persians can't be overturned, so they had to sign something else and say the Jews can defend themselves against their enemies. That's chapter 8, verse 11. But the day was still coming. The day was still hanging over them. And I will tell you this, that there's been a lot written about Esther chapter 9. And some of the moral choices that were made here, even by Esther herself, as you'll see in a moment. But I want to pause for a second and put this question before you. It is easy to sit in an ivory tower or a classroom and decide and make your moral observations about a situation in history until... You are under that situation. I want you to take a moment, and this is how the Jews would like to read these ancient stories, and put yourself in the story for a second. What if you lived in ancient Persia, and a date was set for your extermination, not only you, but your family? It was written in the king's signet ring. The day was set. It was marked on the calendar. You knew there was anti-Semitism in Persia, And now you have to deal with what you're going to do for you and your family and community because there's been a date set for your annihilation. You, women and children, everybody. It's one thing to make moral, you know, statements about the right and wrongness of something until you're walking in someone's sandals, right? And so we have to be a little bit careful. There are things that are clear and then there are other things that are harder to deal with. Now we're in Esther chapter 9, verse 1. Now in the 12th month, that is the month Adar, on the 13th day when the king's command, Esther 9.1, and edict were about to be executed. So this is the day. On the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, it was turned to the contrary. ESV says the reverse occurred. NIV says the tables were turned. So that the Jews themselves gained the mastery, and IV got the upper hand over those who hated them. Now the fateful day had come for the decree to be executed. And by the way, uh, from the time that Haman put the date on the calendar, it was 11 months until that day would come. And what Haman did was he cast lots to determine the day. And earlier we studied that that's where the idea of Pur comes from. The first part of Purim or Purim, or we might say Purim. That's the holiday in the spring that the Jews celebrate. And it's coming up two Wednesday nights from tonight. And as the Lord would have it, I remember I told you, you know, I was looking at the calendar and trying to figure out stuff. Well, we're only going to go to verse 19 tonight, and then we're going to finish chapter 9, and then we're going to have a little Purim night as a congregation in a couple of weeks. And some of the ladies in here are going to make the Purim cookies. And you know what the Purim cookies are? They're a little triangle cookie with jelly in the middle. They have these in Israel every year. And they're supposed to represent either Haman's ear or his pocket. I don't know why. I have an idea about the ear because of the way he died. But we're going to have out there normally oatmeal, raisin, chocolate chip. We're having having Haman's ear in two weeks. (laughs) Bring a friend. 
And when you invite them, just say, hey, man, we're going to have some interesting snacks in two weeks. Come on by to live in truth. Anyway, <laughs> now the day had arrived. It, it would, the text says that they cast lots for days, even months, because Haman was looking for what he might call the perfect day to execute this evil plan. Uh, in the ancient world, they had the concept of a lucky day. So what's the perfect day that we can kill all the Jewish people? They were looking for the perfect day to mark on the calendar. And there are people who do this today in other countries and other religions. You know, they're worried about this one day, the perfect day to do this. Is there a perfect day to get married? No. <laughs> That's the answer? No. There's no perfect day. Now, you can pick a day on the calendar. Shane and Natalie picked a day on the calendar. And it was a July, and uh, it was 118 degrees that day. And uh, the power went out in my home where we were supposed to have the reception. And, uh, but the good news was that we had a pool, and it was 118 degrees. So anyway, people, good people got generators there, and it worked, and the Lord was gracious. But this is what happened. The day had arrived, and this is our uh, springtime, the month of Adar, and the day had come. Can you imagine being a Jewish people, a Jewish person, and finally that day has dawned? You know that there's another edict where you can defend yourself, but you still know that there's a bunch of people who hate you, and you have to defend your family, your home. It would be a very scary time. These people were living under the weight of the first edict. Haman was dead, but they still had to defend themselves. Um, this is uh, something that, you know, if you think about the world that we live in today and you think about this story and you say, well, is this just a story? No, it's not just a story. Uh, it's historical and it's been repeated many times. We've had a Holocaust uh, within the last century directed at the Jewish people, but not just the Jewish people. Many others died. I think 20 million people died in the Holocaust. Six million of them were Jewish people. I've been to Israel twice, and both times we've gone to the Holocaust Museum, and uh, it is one of the most staggering uh, places that I've ever been to. In fact, when you go through the Holocaust Museum and you see the artifacts and the shoes of the little kids that perished and the pictures and the brutality, you're, you're numb. And people have, you know, there's been ethnic cleansing and uh, so-called in Rwanda and the Balkans and other places like that. And man just has it in his heart somehow to carry hate out to such incredible, sad places. But God is in the reversal of fortune business. And reversals are the stuff of great stories. Some of you can think of maybe your favorite stories or your favorite movie. And uh, those are stories of reversals when all odds seem to be stacked against the hero or the heroine. And all of a sudden, something happens. Uh, another force out of nowhere shows up. Another army comes to help them. And you think, man, it's all, it's all over. The Lord of the Rings stories are great for this. Those armies are so intimidating. How can anybody win? How could anybody survive times like these? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. We understand that time can really get away from you. 
The day-to-day hustle can sometimes leave little time for the more important things in life, like Bible study. Remember that Pastor Michael's teachings can be heard at any time, day or night, on walkintruth.com. You don't have to worry that you have to get out of the car right now, because today's teaching is already online, ready for you to listen when it's most convenient for you. Visit walkintruth.com today to hear all the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. That's walkintruth.com. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. I've been to Israel twice, and both times we've gone to the Holocaust Museum. And uh, it is one of the most staggering uh, places that I've ever been to. In fact, when you go through the Holocaust Museum and you see the artifacts and the shoes of the little kids that perish and the pictures and the brutality, you're, you're numb. And people have, you know, there's been ethnic cleansing and Uh, so-called in Rwanda and the Balkans and other places like that. And man just has it in his heart somehow to carry hate out to such incredible, sad places. But God is in the reversal of fortune business. And reversals are the stuff of great stories. Some of you can think of maybe your favorite stories or your favorite movie And uh, those are stories of reversals when all odds seem to be stacked against the hero or the heroine. And all of a sudden, something happens. Uh, Another force out of nowhere shows up. Another army comes to help them. And you think, man, it's all all over. The Lord of the Rings stories are great for this. Those armies are so intimidating. How can anybody win? How could anybody survive times like these? And then, you know, it just seems like out of the jaws of defeat, victory comes. It's the stuff of great stories. But the evil day has come. And we have to do everything to stand in that evil day. So notice, this is the the opening verse says, their enemies, it's the enemies of the Jews or God's people, wanted mastery over them. But God turned it around and God is, his hand is in this book, though he's not mentioned and he turned it around, and they gained mastery over their enemies. I want to give you an application as a believer. Uh, Cain was told in Genesis 4-7, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must what? You must master it. You must master it. Sin is crouching at the door. Now, how many of you have those little peepholes in your door? And, and now they've advanced them to where now you have that ring thing and you can see if some, 
you know, hooded figure comes up to your door and wants to steal your stuff. And you go, go, hey, what are you doing there? Oh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> right? And they probably, you know, try to duck. Well, sin is pictured as ducking at your door. It doesn't want you to see it through the people. Right? And, it, and it's looking, since sin is crouching at your door, what's sin looking for? You to open your door. If you don't open the door, sin won't come in. But if you open the door, if you give sin a crack, it will force its way in. And ironically, do you know that the sin that was crouching at the door was Cain's own anger? It wasn't some monster. It was the monster within. It was his flesh. It was his jealousy of his brother. You see, the sin that we have to keep out is often the sin from within. And the way we keep it out is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? The way we keep it out is dying, crucifying the flesh, and putting on the things of God. You see, sin and Satan wants to gain mastery over you. You must battle. You must do everything to stand in that evil day. There's a crouching beast at the door, but if we resist him firm in our faith, the enemy will flee from you. That's a promise that you have. James 4, I think it's verse 7. If you resist him firm in your faith, he will flee from you. But the enemy, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour you must gain mastery over that by giving it to your own master, Jesus. Well, the Jews assembled, verse 2, in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. No one could stand before them, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. Now, see the word assembled there? It's kahal in Hebrew, and it means to gather, it has the idea of gathering for worship or even war, but it has the idea of gathering in a united front. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king, and they wanted to lay hands on those who wanted to lay hands on them. They had been given the right to defend themselves. And so, notice, they assembled, they were a united front, and no one could stand before them. Now, I'm going to submit to you that the fact that no one could stand before them was not that they were so impressive or the way they lined up in their ranks or the weapons that they had. The reason that no one could stand before them was God's hand was upon them. God's favor, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to give you another application. In your battle with uh, Satan and sin and all that this world has, it is better to be united with other believers than not. When you assemble together with other believers, you find strength in numbers. If you are not going to church, if you're being a solo Christian, trying to be a solo Christian, if you're not in fellowship, if you don't have relationships where there's some depth, some study of the word of God, some challenging of one another to go deeper, some level of accountability, somebody who actually knows you and knows a little bit about your life, well, you're not going to make it. You're going to be fighting all alone. And it's, it's good to have brothers and sisters to fight side by side with. And so they assembled together, God's people, 
You know, God's people, we have to say, are largely divided tonight. Churches are often competing with one another or, you know, doing silly things to compromise to the culture. Notice, they, yes, they gathered together, but there was a bigger force, and this is the unseen God in the book of Esther. His name never mentioned once, but no one could stand before the Jews, for the dread of them had fallen on all the peoples. What does that mean? How does dread fall on people? And where does it come from? Why is it that the Jewish people at this moment in history had everybody freaked out? Had everybody fearful? What is going on with these people? The dread of them had fallen on the people. If you do a little study, you will find in the book of Joshua that no one could stand before Israel, before Joshua and Israel, Joshua 21:44 and 23:9. The dread of God's people is mentioned several times in the Old Testament in Exodus 1.12, 15.6, and 22.3. In Deuteronomy 2.25, Moses recounting what God did for the people of Israel said, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who when they hear the report of you shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Write down Deuteronomy 11.25. There shall be no man... Be able to stand before you. The Lord your God shall lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. God did, I believe, God did something supernatural to allow the fear of the Jews, the dread of the Jews to fall on the people of Persia. Now, some of those people may have heard the stories of the Jewish God, right? Uh, maybe they heard about how he parted the Red Sea or how he did this or that or won victories for Israel with just the worship leaders in the front and nobody even really fighting and confusing foreign armies you know, when they were largely outnumbered and so forth. But I think you have to see, brothers and sisters, that God's hand is on his people. And when God's hand is on you, he will give you favor. He will give you blessing. In fact, you may just freak some people out. Are there some people that you freak out? You're just a little too shiny for them. You come into the room with this whole Jesus thing and they're like, man, no, I don't, no. They need extra sunglasses. They just don't know what to do with you. There's some people that don't even want to Touch the Bible. They think something may happen to them. No, 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 I don't, no, I don't want, I don't want to get it away from me. You can mess with people that way. <laughs> get it away. I had a friend some years ago, and I had been witnessing to him, and I wasn't always the great wit greatest witness, I have to confess. And one time he came into church, finally, and the communion elements were passing by, and he was not a Christian. And there was like a fear and a dread that fell on him. And he just let the communion plate pass him by, which he should have because he was a non-Christian. But you could see like a fear in his eyes over what I would say are the holy things of God. Maybe this resonates with some of you, that there's... You've just experienced this where some people, they just don't know quite what to do with you because the spirit of the living God is in you.
Well, I want to encourage you in those times to stand strong and proud in the best sense of that word, because Christ is in you. You don't have to be ashamed of the gospel or who you are in Jesus Christ. Just as the old kid's song says, just let your little light shine. God will take care of the rest. You know, when people know you're a Christian, you can stand humbly in love and in truth, and they're going to see your courage. And hopefully it will cause them to be asking questions about where they're at with the Lord. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. A reminder, tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer. I want to encourage you to join me and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in praying for our nation. We need prayer desperately. We need revival in the church in America. Let's cry out to God together and let it start with us. You know, prayer is a sign of revival. It's a sign that we're taking God seriously. And I encourage you on this special day to make sure that you're praying and seeking the Lord. Now, if you don't know what to pray specifically for, we have some suggestions on our website, right on our homepage. The theme this year is love one another. What a great theme. That's what Jesus told us, commanded us to do. He said, when we do that, all people will know that we belong to him. So considering that, we have topics like praying for families, workplaces, communities, all ethnicities and people, much, much more. And if you'd like to check out our suggestions on what to pray about on the National Day of Prayer, please visit our website, which is walkintruth.com. It's walkintruth.com. Well, we continue the teaching in Esther chapter 9 tomorrow, so come back and learn more about a divine reversal. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.